Okay, so I definitely want a skull. Can you do a skull? Sure. Oh, but wait, can you put it in, like, a jester's hat to symbolize all the wacky jokes I like to tell? Yeah, I could do that. You think people are gonna get that? Get what? That I like to tell jokes now and then. Uh... Actually, could you write ha a bunch of times next to it? I think it'll be easier for people to understand the skull. And what a funny guy I am. Just a bunch of, a bunch of ha's? Yeah. And can you do it in, like, a jagged, handwritten way, but clean? I want it to look casual, but still nice, you know? Yeah, I do a lot of lettering work. I can make it look good. Also, I've been really into clown stuff lately, so if you could put some big clown lips on my arms, that would be cool. You want those smiling? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think you really understand me. Anything else you wanted? Uh, I almost forgot the most important part. I would like the word damaged on my forehead because I'm all messed up, you know? Damaged? Yeah, because I'm all messed up. Sure. Because I'm all messed up. Can you do that in, like, a nice cursive? If it's gonna be on my forehead, I want it to look good for, like, job interviews and stuff. Yeah, I'll show you the font book. You can choose one. Great! Well, I'm really excited about my new look. People will finally understand that I'm all messed up, you know? You're all messed up. My mom is gonna freak. Welcome to Flyby Films, a once or twice a month uh, podcast or field recording, whichever you prefer, where using the magic of the internet or some magical shit like that, my friend Blake Collier and I get together to discuss films that have been or will be forgotten. I'm Jameson Barsodi. Blake, how have you been doing? Uh, doing good. Uh, we are we are recording on a Wednesday night, which means we are officially past the the hump of the week. Yes, it is supposedly downhill from here, but Thursdays are always painful for whatever reason. So. Mm. Well, I have a three-day weekend, and I'm taking Friday off. So tomorrow is my is my Friday. No, so it's it must not be nice. Yeah, it is real nice. I'm just rubbing it in. So. No, fine. Yeah, that's all. You know what? Fuck you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Blake. <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. All right. Well, I mean, I uh, technically got Monday off this oh, week, so hey. because weather and daycare is canceled, and so I got to take care of the kids, which. I don't know if that's technically taking the day off. No. It's basically a different kind of work. No. I get to so. take Friday off. Like uh, off. It's a gift. Like a no g- kids. Well, my kid is going to be around, which is great. I love seeing yeah. him. But uh, this weekend is... Actually, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, this weekend okay. is, is part of a Christmas gift I got from my wife. Oh. Um, she presented to me on Christmas a ticket, an online pass. Oh, this the, is, yes, I know what this is. To the Sundance okay. Film Festival. And what, uh, what it came with was a pass to 10 movies. Now, they nice. have a limited number of movies that are playing online, and I have four days to watch all ten movies, 
So part nice. of the gift was if I could take a day off Friday, then I basically get to kind of spend most of the day watching movies. And heck yeah. Yeah, so I I made a I made a schedule uh and I opened it up to friends and family and so it's just kind of drop in if people are interested How? in these movies. I would have do you want me to send you the you, schedule? Sir. I'm I can't I've got work. You've got there's work. No way. I mean send me yeah. the schedule. Yes, but yeah. there's no way in the hell I'm going to be able to join. It. <laughs> no. I, yeah, I mean you can't you have to be here in person because I can't sh- Well, I guess I could telecast it in. I could Skype it in. Do you want to watch it from a screen no. on Skype? No. That might help no. your week or your work week go by faster. Dude, that would that would basically just make me want to watch it instead of work. And that doesn't help anybody. Yeah. I mean, it helps me until I lose my job. Because I didn't work. But I still charge time to the company. You're not, like... You're too valuable. You're, oh. you're, you're too big to fail. I'm too... <laughs> That's... say I'm fat? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what they all say. And then, and then I somehow become too small. Yeah, no. And that... invaluable. Or this... non-valuable. This is exactly why I took the day off. So that I didn't yeah. have to deal with that. But, yeah. yeah. No, it's anyway. beautiful. Yeah. Send me the schedule. I mean, I, I expect a, like a little short like rundown for the Flyby Films feed. Yeah, I don't... Like, no, seriously, like just like a minute saying, this movie sucks. This movie, not bad. This movie, fine. This movie, awesome. This <laughs> and then just go, run down the list, and that's it. Uh, the movies I'm most excited about are documentaries, actually. I think there's one where it's it's called In Search of Mavis Beacon. Did you ever uh, type typing with Mavis Beacon? It was like a unless unless I'm pronouncing it wrong or like saying it wrong. Uh, yeah, no, Mavis Beacon. Uh, yeah. So it was a typing program, and there was kind of this made-up figure who was the teacher who taught you to type. Uh, and the I don't think so. The documentary is about finding the model who like played Mavis Beacon. I don't know. It's like an an eighties nostalgia trip, you know. Oh yeah, I'm down. Uh, and then there's one documentary that is it's like a day in the life of a Satanist or something like that, and uh, they just follow around this practicing Satanist as they see what they do. So like like Church Church of Satan. Yeah, I don't think it's <clears throat> it's you know. A true worshiper of Satan, but maybe I don't know. Not like an Aleister Crowley or some shit like that. No. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, even Aleister Crowley wasn't sure a Satanist. Yeah. I mean, he's more about the sex. He yeah he he was more about doing <laughs> doing whatever he wanted. I think doing he has the a 
he he has a lot of uglies. Yeah. So, well, we we kind of cut uh, the intro in half, so I'll finish that now. Uh, so, if you're still listening on this episode, we're going to be talking about the film Yojimbo, which Yojimbo, Yojimbo, which is. <laughs> The oldest film we've covered, and is it? yeah, it is, isn't it? Huh. Yeah, as of as of now, I think it's the oldest film we've covered. Okay. However, I we didn't actually cover it, but we talked about watching the original version of the Lady Killers, and I actually don't know yes. if that's prior to 1961, which is when Yojimbo I don't remember either. I I watched it, but I don't remember. If it was yeah. prior to 1960. I feel like it was 1950s, but... But in any case, we didn't cover it, no. so... No. Because uh, I no. failed to watch it, so we didn't talk about it. Uh, it was just extra credit. Extra credit. But uh, not only is it the oldest movie we've covered so far, it's probably the, the movie that will take the longest to get forgotten. <laughs> um, so... I mean, honestly... The- to be to be fair though, I couldn't have told you that this was one of his films because I oh. honestly had never heard of it. Yeah, like I like you 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 put it on there. I had to look it up to see what it was, and then I saw it was a Kurosawa, and I was like, oh okay, this will be good. Um, but I had no reference, and then I saw it was the you know, Sergio Leone, you know. Fistful of dollars. Jack the Jack the narrative for a fish, fistful of dollars, and I was like, "Oh, I've seen that before." Yeah, they actually got sued by the production. Yeah, company. Toho. Yeah, good for we, them. Well, which is kind of funny because yeah, fuck the Italians. Yeah, <laughs> fuck the Italians. <laughs> I wonder what the international lawsuit. Damn Catholics. <laughs> rules are. Yeah. But, um, I mean, all of those guys, like, Kurosawa blatantly rips off uh, uh, westerns, like John Ford westerns. It goes and, back to our thoroughbreds conversation. Yeah. And, and then in the later, you know, in the 60s, all the 60s western movies are inspired by Kurosawa movies. So, yeah. like, and, now, and these are say, all good. Now I will say there is a there is a bit of a truism in that it seems like the first ripoff usually is the best, and then it becomes increasingly derivative with each ripoff afterwards. That that is so, really, like, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, like you think about Fistful of Dollars, it's it's probably the best of that type of yeah story. Um, the first Magnificent Seven probably the first the best version of seven samurai mm-hmm. and then every magnificent seven or story that is similar to that is decreasing in quality from that point on well um, i w- not ne- not necessarily in like a a like completely downhill trajectory i'm sure it's a little more you know uphill downhill but it's never quite as good as the first ripoff. <laughs> yeah. I I wonder 
if it has something to do with... So, in the examples we've cited so far, we have Western, you know, Hollywood Western, and then Japanese samurai film that's ripping it off. Or Mm -hmm. Japanese samurai film and then Italian spaghetti Western. Yeah. 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 And, uh, or American, you know, Western. Yeah. You have these incredibly different contexts for Mm -hmm. these movies. And I think it takes a considerable amount of effort to translate them. Yeah. And I think in doing that effort, there's probably something gained that's Mm -hmm. maybe a little intangible too, but, uh, but shows forth in the quality. So, yeah. And I mean, it's it's like Nine Inch Nails said in their last full album. Well, you know, you know what you get when you get a copy of a copy. With each copy, it's like multiplicity. You know that great film yeah. with Michael Keaton. That great film. They just keep yeah. getting dumber and dumber with each copy. Yeah, but more and more I mean, lovable. That's, that's right. Oh yeah. Yeah. More and more lovable. I mean, I I adore the Denzel Washington Magnuson 7. I think it's a piece of shit. <laughs> but I adore it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's Compared funny that you... to Steve fucking McQueen? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Now, Denzel... don't get me wrong. Denzel yeah. is better than Steve McQueen. But Mag... Denzel's Magnuson 7... Not anywhere close to Steve McQueen's Magnificent Seven. <laughs> yeah. It is interesting that you bring up Nine Inch Nails because I think they have an example of this, or at least them and Johnny Cash with the yeah. song Hurt, which is, in fact, I. To this day, to this day, the only cover that Trent Reznor has any respect for. I doubt their, he's heard songs. all of their covers, though. They're probably oh, yeah, some, yeah, yeah. But of of the of the known ones, sure. That he like that he would know, sure. Johnny Cash is the only one that he was like, no, it's his song now. Well, because like, his version is better. Oh, it is hands down, hands down, hands Just down. So good. I mean, and plus the music video makes me cry every time. So, yeah. I mean damn yeah no it's 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 a great freaking version of the song yeah yeah how do you feel about covers albums or covers in general oh speaking of covers nonetheless oh there you are i can't hear you you can't hear me can you hear me Yes. Well, I can't hear you. Oh, this is wonderful. Hold on. I'm holding. I got this, Blake. Well, if you start hearing me, I was going to ask you a question about how you feel about covers. And I think there's a, say, a similar principle at play here where if you just play the same damn song you're gonna get a derivative copy and it's not gonna be good you have to kind of change up 
your approach to things. Um, there we go. At least, at least that's my opinion on covers. How do you yeah. feel about how do you feel about covers and like covers albums? Um, I generally love them. Okay. I mean, I I I I'm a sucker for them, even though I think most covers are not that great. Um, I don't know. There's something about the the thrill of the potential of a great cover. Like okay. going into going into a a cover by a, a person or a group that you really appreciate and wanting to hear what they do with it and if it's interesting at all. And it's about 50-50 probably for me um whether or not it it succeeds or not, but I think the potential is enough to to get me through most of the the heartache of what it ultimately ends up being <laughs> which is eh, fine <laughs> yeah i i was saying the, the, the way i look at it is yeah. is at least if you're gonna do it differently don't make it worse because i would i would take you doing a number like paint by numbers cover over you making some making it worse Oh, I think I think I'm the opposite. <laughs> I think I would switch that. I would rather you do something weird that fails. Oh, I'm fine with weird. I I now note I say worse and that there have been covers where they made all the wrong decisions in how yes. to make the how, how to cover the song. I I I refuse to listen to that shit. Okay. You weird make it weird as hell and i'm down like i will probably enjoy it because you went you took risks and you're like fuck it i'm just gonna do it i'm i'm usually good with that but i'm saying like there there are versions out there of songs that you're just like what was going through this person's head when they made this like nothing nothing about this works See, I guess I generally feel that way about paint by numbers uh, covers, because if you mm-hmm. like, if you try too hard to replicate a great song, you're gonna probably crash and burn. That's fair. But if you do it in your own style, you take it, you kind of make it your own. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But eh, I mean, yeah. Part of me is is like just if you want to make a cover, make a cover. It might be interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, it's do you usually have any... safer not to do a whole covers album. Yeah, there was an it's artist. Just better to have a have a random cover in the midst of an album. That's usually more ideal. Yeah, there was an artist that I I like called Joshua Ray Walker, who is a country artist from texas and he released an album last year that was a cover uh or a covers album of pop songs and they were all really bad and i was sad um at least i didn't like them they didn't work for me so um i mean i don't know what this says about taylor swift or my view of taylor swift but I actually prefer Ryan Adams' 1989 
to her in 1989. Who wrote that song originally? No, like, he copied the whole album. Like, he covered the whole album. Oh. Okay. And I prefer his version (laughs) to hers. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I don't have anything to add there, because I've never spent... I think Ryan Adams is probably a piece of shit. It sounds he's at least got some talent. Yeah. So. Who do you think has the biggest... Uh, talent to piece of shit ratio out there. I don't Oof. think I'm doing the correct math in that statement, but I think you get what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Like where where the proportions are both moving upward. The proportions like, are just huge on both ends. Yeah. yeah. Huge. Huge. Um. Ah man, that's that's a tough one. Because I I can think of people I think are assholes, but their output's not all that great anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, hmm, I would have to think about that one. Maybe I'll come up with an answer on the next episode. There's probably someone we. I really want to say Taylor Swift, but but I feel like that's a cop out. Yeah, probably a cop out. So. I feel like. I feel like a lot of people that are famous are probably also assholes. So, uh, yeah, that's a big sweep. Um, or at least there's a, a lot of them that there's probably some decent examples in, you know, the, the groups of musicians we listen to or filmmakers we oh, yeah. watch. And so, but, but definitely not Toshiro Mifune. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, no, maybe he no, was a jo- no. The greatest man who ever lived. I can guarantee what? it. <laughs> All right, I will take you up. On second, second, uh, third, only to Christ and Mister Rogers. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think I would have to put Weird Al in there somewhere. Okay. I have this I have this theory that Weird Al is kind of the new Mr. Rogers. Huh. Interesting. He, he's like the Mr. Rogers of the next age group. So Mr. Rogers was very nurturing to our you know, preschool and grade school ages. We all kind of watched him. Mm-hmm. We all felt loved by him. And then when you get to middle school, you start developing humor. Maybe it's bad humor, but it's humor nonetheless. And one of your your entry places, maybe not you, I don't know. You seem pretty, uh, pretty tepid when I brought up Weird Al. Uh, but Weird Al is definitely for me big influence on like middle school jamie humor i i guess you could say i'm tepid on him that's because i didn't really have a strong connection with him at any point i think i owned maybe one of his albums at one point yeah um i think it was largely because he was covering songs that i never really listened to and so i didn't get it yeah speaking of covers 
See, we're never going to get away from this. This is the topic of the night. This is uh, our our uh, what plagiarism talk again. Yeah, although uh, a different version of it. Yeah, I I knew actually a lot of the pop songs that I knew about growing up were because he covered these songs. Like, I didn't know the original version. I didn't know Like a Virgin. I was a dumb kid. Who would know that? But I knew Like a Surgeon. That was a great Mm -hmm. song. (laughs) Um, And I don't know what it was. I don't know. I I just remember a couple years back, there was kind of a, a Weird Al resurgence and there was an article that I read about how kind of wonderful and loving his shows are for his fans. And it there it seemed really warm and it seemed like he had spent all these years kind of cultivating his craft art, if you want to call it that. Yeah for the love of of his fans and you know making people happy and it just it it sounded pretty wonderful i'll i'll, I'll send you that did, that article it was a new york times write-up on him i did love nice. his his stint on the tv show comedy bang bang mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was a pretty great stint yeah but that tv show is genius in general so yeah um so jameson i've got a i've got a parenting question for you yeah we're jumping back on the parenting bullshit i love to go there oh yeah it's it's about all we talk about these days we're truly dads in that way um (laughs) true dads what is you and kira's discipline technique or what what will it be because i i mean hazel maybe maybe a little rebel but i i assume he hasn't quite reached the level of needing to uh you know get a quick hand to the face or something like that but 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 what do you all have plans on how you're gonna you know keep him in his place shame you know uh discipline punish choose your uh your your favorite adjective yeah i feel like there's two there's two categories right so you asked me this earlier and i'm actually very grateful that you kind of revealed this question to me because i i don't know i mean most of my answer is i don't know but um you're right He's not at that stage yet. But there's little inklings of, oh, teaching him this is going to be a struggle. Uh, Like, he has started discovering outlets. Yes. Yeah. So, the plan right now is to keep the outlets away from him as much as we can. Uh, But... That's a problem because the outlets are stationary and you can't really move them. And some of them are, are below him at this point. Um, 
So this is this is a problem. <laughs> so I guess I split it into two categories, like like I was saying. One is when he does when he cause when he causes some sort of damage, and we can step back and and think about the punishment, right? And he's not in any sort of uh, immediate damage or mm-hmm. immediate danger. And that one, I don't really have like a a plan right now other than... I don't think most parents have a plan when it comes to that kind of stuff. Probably it's mainly just, just like keep them away unless you're like jeff foxworthy and then you're like sure oh you found the outlet oh you have a quarter huh oh you're gonna stick it in there all right give it a shot (laughs) give it a a shock oh it didn't feel too good did it (laughs) well i think i think there is some there's some wisdom in that in small doses right like when it's not actually going to like hurt them hurt them (laughs) Yeah, when when he was learning to kind of go downstairs, we have some low stairs, and he was like, "I just want to go head first, right?" And you're mm-hmm. like, "No, you're gonna you're gonna tumble, and it's gonna be uncomfortable, dude." Uh, and then you let him tumble a couple times, and then he's like, "Oh, never mind. I can I can yeah. go backward. Yep. I can I can do it the correct way." Good. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear this, Jameson. I'm glad that you and Kara are not helicopter parents. I mean, I I don't know. I I do worry somewhat about oh about turning parent. my my turbines on. Um, uh, every parent worries about it to some extent, but the simple fact that you haven't allowed it to go full on at this point means that there's a pretty solid hope that you're always going to be riding that line. Okay, okay, because we were the same way. We were the same way. Like we, we went into it not wanting to be those parents, but you always, you're always like, you're, you're gauging the risk. Sure. Like, is this act, what, what kind of damage is this going to do to them? And if it's going to be significant, then we'll, we'll be helicopter parents, whatever. But if we're like, yeah, it's probably going to hurt, may have some blood maybe, but that's probably something he needs to learn. Like... We never were concerned about him falling off of a chair or something like that. Like, because he'll be fine. Then yeah. Quite Absol- well, actually. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think I spend more time kind of worrying if I'm, if I'm judging the situation correctly than trying to communicate to yeah. Hazel if he's judging the situation correctly. Um, because, you know, I don't want to be in the situation where I didn't see the car coming, you know, or something like that. Oh, know? yeah. So yeah. I I think I'm more willing to yell in those moments when when I feel that there's a danger coming. Mm-hmm. But I'm also judging how how dangerous something is. Yeah. Um, and then. Um, but that's not what I'm really concerned about. It's when yeah. he starts talking back to you and, and like biting and hitting you and, and saying you're yeah. stupid and shit like that. That's what I want to know about. Like so, basically, I want to know how quick you're gonna like slap him upside the face. 
<laughs> well, um, he bit me. He bit me on the chin. This was a couple months ago, and I definitely like flicked his chin off, and I didn't feel good about that. So but I was, was like, it out of anger that he bit you? Uh, it wasn't out of anger, and it was more out of actual pain how I responded. Um, ah, gotcha. So I mean, uh, but but was his bite out of anger? No, no, it wasn't oh, okay. out of anger. Then, it was out of discovery. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He just wanted like, to know okay. how my my chin tasted. I mean, yeah. I mean, don't we all? Yeah. Um, but, uh, I think my plan, it's not actual, it's not an action oriented plan towards discipline. It's to practice patience and Mm -hmm. to, in these, in these situations, kind of recover from an immediate reaction so that's why this is in like category two yeah uh, recover from the immediate reaction and then go from there i haven't really thought about what's beyond the go from there or what is yeah. the go from there stage but it will probably involve discussions with kira you know some sort of plan um but i i my hope is that i'm able to add gobs and gobs of patience to this as much as i can so well that is that is actually a very wise thing to say okay Um, because as you you and kira i'm sure will find is that uh no matter what you try (laughs) either it's not gonna work or you're gonna fail at it yeah (laughs) so (laughs) Because I am currently dealing with many of these things, trying out different things, and so far, they're not great. <laughs> yeah, I was about so I was about to say uh, this question seems to have come from a place of hurt. Blake, will you t- will you tell will you tell us where uh, where Seamus has touched you? Uh, well, can I get a baby doll? Yeah. <laughs> um yeah Seamus has gotten into this habit we've been trying to get him to so he started climbing into our bed there for about three three weeks four weeks maybe he would sleep in his bed for two or three hours and then he would come in the middle of night and jump in our bed and he would sleep there for the rest of the night which was fine. We were surviving. We were trying to get, we were all trying to get sleep. So mm-hmm. no judgment, but on some level we were, we were like, we got to nip this in the bud somehow. So mm-hmm. we got him his own mattress. It's on the floor. It's like a full size. So he has plenty of room to like, you know, jostle about. And we've been trying, basically we got a full size. So at least one of us could sleep in it with him worst case scenario mm-hmm. um and but while we've someone has except for one night someone has slept in that bed with him the whole night um but the actual difficulties have come with going to sleep 
uh, ah. and his unwillingness to do such a feat, um, which has included biting and or kicking and or hitting and or grabbing with his nails, my cheeks, mm. and things like that. So it's one of those things we've had to try to figure out. We, we My wife sent me a... a episode of podcast to listen to and the, the the advice that the woman is giving is really sound i think but actually enacting it is thus far damn nigh impossible for me <laughs> so yeah it's it's like this idea of like you don't want to like shame them you don't want to judge them okay. because they can't control those impulses and that makes sense they can't control it like they're they're acting out of reaction like it's, a, it's that animal lizard brain sure um makes sense but in the moment <laughs> I'm, I'm like cool your shit bro yeah <laughs> lizards are usually go a little sleep, more motherfucker. <laughs> uh yeah in the words of samuel jackson gentle. go the fuck to sleep yeah <laughs> do you guys have that book yes and yeah. and i cannot read it and not like just gasp for air because it, it's just hilarious and the older they get and the and the more troubles you have with that the funnier it is <laughs> well i'm sure we'll bring it out again uh cure's parents got it for us awesome when, yeah when we were complaining <laughs> about sleep so no i i i was asking it out of more out of curiosity as to whether or not y'all had a grand plan that was going to fail ultimately um and <laughs> i mean hey hey i'm i'm willing to believe i'm willing to hope that there is an answer out there that there has been a parent that has had an idea has followed through with it and has worked 100 percent I'm willing to believe that there is such a thing. I just have yet to see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, okay. To be fair to half of the parenting unit of this household, if you were to ask this question to Kira, she might actually say she has a plan because she is a planner. Yeah. I am not. I am very much a, a winger. Um, Kira yeah. gave me multiple books to read about child development. And I read a couple chapters. So I am not... Of one of them. <laughs> of one. <laughs> yes. Um, I think that's better than I did. <laughs> i don't know man i i don't know i i sometimes feel guilty but then i also sometimes wonder if science is right in this context i know science is right in this context but well how, how much I mean, information what, uh, do you what need? version of science though i mean most yes. of what we know about childhood development has only come in the last 50 years so yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of wisdom before 50 years ago that that worked yeah. just fine. 
and I think <laughs> I think that's part of the problem is when I say something like science is right, what I'm really saying is that we've definitely solved some problems, maybe not with yeah. parenting, but with at least keeping children alive. And so yeah. I I give some credit to science, but at the same time, what you're saying is that all of these studies and all of these books written, I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth. I don't know if this is what you're saying, but this is no, it's exactly what I'm saying. Projection. I, yeah. Um, these it's too much. It's too much information. It's a glut of information and they're saying different things. There's not a coherent, consistent narrative out there. And it's just and it's kind also of... and it's also super Western oriented. Yes, yes. There are plenty of cultures around the world that do not give two shits about the crap that we read about in childhood development books, and they're just fine. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm sure there's some value, but I don't know if there's enough value for me to constantly be worrying about it and it to consume absolutely everything in my life outside of what Hazel is already consuming in my life. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, there you go. That's how I feel. Yeah. That's why we're friends. (laughs) Good. Good. We're similar creatures in that way. I feel, I feel validated. I feel seen like, you're You're seeing me i i can see you but you're not seeing me no i i see you're you're making the i froze i froze and then i turned off my camera and i now cannot turn my camera back on oh i can't even actually end the call that's that's good i don't want you so well i wouldn't want to outside of rejoining and hoping my camera worked and whatnot but you know what blake if it makes you feel any better, you're frozen in the most fuck you smug face that uh, you can imagine. I think I know which one you're talking about because I saw it right before I turned on my camera. So Yeah. So uh, this is, uh, I think this is a boon for you. I think you, hey, can, you hey, can do it. I'm going to win. I, this is a winning attitude. I like it. Good. Good. I mean, that's. That's what podcasting is all about, is winning uh, against your co-hosts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I know we're running up against our usual bullshit amount of time, but but, uh, Jameson, as as a person who's done work on uh, capital punishment and and prison systems and stuff like that, man, this whole Kenny... Smith, Smith, is it Kenny Smith? I think it's you Kenny know, Smith. There's, there's uh, two situation that is that is pissing me off. Uh, specifically around the fact that they're using a method that is untried and untested and not even ethically sound with animals. Yeah, yeah. and I'm like, Jesus Christ! Like, what is going on with you people? And then the Supreme Court had no issue with it. Well, so I think there's two there's two cases right now, high profile ones. There's one mm-hmm. from your state, Oklahoma, 
which is not a surprise because we were one of the first ones to put the, the the idea of this this approach into into our laws. Well, and I think it's so weird because I think your attorney general has already said like, "Oh yeah, we shouldn't kill this man," uh, but he's still having to appeal at the Supreme Court level. I don't know it, that that case is weird, but he seems definitely in a more safe position than this other guy in Alabama who mm-hmm. is who you're talking about Kenneth Smith yeah 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 who uh, is who is set to die tomorrow oh. as of our recording so by by this means of yeah and so so just just to give people some uh some uh kind of extra textual context for for your host here is i gave up all social media so about the only news i get is anything that pops up on the headlines and any browsers i use or if my wife tells me something or a friend tells me something or i just don't hear about it and the only reason i i heard about this today was because i was listening to brunig's podcast Mm mm-hmm and she mentioned that she was going to this execution to to report on it. Yeah. And I looked it up and I I was absolutely repulsed by what is going on there. I mean, just like it put a whole shitty like end on the day for me. Like I just couldn't not think about it. <laughs> So, so you mentioned Brunig. Um, have you read her book yet on this? I, I haven't read it. Like I haven't actually read the book itself. I've read a lot of the pieces, or yeah. at least three or four of the pieces that form the book. So, yeah. So I got the book. I still haven't read through all of it, but um, but I've been reading chunks piece by piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that that she talks about too is just so lethal injection was kind of the the big uh, accepted route of how to do things, mm-hmm. but I, the weird thing is since you know since we started doing executions by lethal injection it's become harder and harder to find those chemicals and secure them. And um, a lot of states have been doing back uh, room deals for this isn't stuff. That because a lot of the companies can't deal with the liability behind the use yeah. of the chemicals. Yeah. Be- because the companies and so they have don't... to do those backdoor deals to. Yeah. And that's part of it is, yeah, the companies are like, no, we're not going to give you things that you're going to use to kill people like we don't care that's just not what our company is about and so they Mm -hmm. you know the the companies are about killing people through debt and stealing money and stuff like that they're not about killing people through their products like that you know uh at least not not it's not good branding not not u.s (laughs) citizens right yeah Uh, exactly yeah anyway anyway um, not to give the corpos too much credit. Of course, of course. If you come out of prison, you no longer have the right to vote. So, are you a citizen? 
I mean, <sighs> man, <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't get me started. But uh, <laughs> so the states are like, you know, f this, and a lot of, I think, I think, uh, one of the Carolinas is set to use, or maybe it's Utah. I'm sorry. I'm getting my states mixed up. Some states are set to use uh, firing squad again. They're just like, okay, yeah, we're just going to shoot people, which weirdly might actually be more humane than lethal injection. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I've thought about that. I've thought about like, you know, as long as they did point- that whole, like, you know, blind, like not telling the, the shooter, which one has real bullet, that whole, because like, oh, they used to yeah. line guys up, and they would only put a real bullet in one, one of the guns. Well, and that's uh, and they wouldn't tell the person. Yeah. That way, no one actually felt the full, like the full amount of blame <laughs> for the death. That's insane to me that you continue through this process, but you know you have to take these, like you know the psychological damage it yeah. does yeah. to these people. You know, I've even thought, like, why don't they just use a guillotine? Like, if it's sharp enough, you know it's going to succeed and it's going to be over in an instant. That seems way more, you know, I think. There have been stories of of some guillotine problems, but. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, and I I, I don't want to be, come out as pro guillotine. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm anti-capital punishment. But, Within uh, the big scheme of things, I, I mean, I would say I'm probably pro guillotine. <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I, that sounds better than nitrogen gas, which is yeah. what Alabama has decided to solve yeah. their lethal injection problem with. And, and it's I, all you, about the mask. The mask. The the whole situation is is less about the gas itself. Is more about. Uh, making sure that there's a tight enough connection to where no oxygen can get in and make the suffering of the person that much worse than it's already going to be. Um, that's, that's the big issue. Yeah. Um, well, also, I mean, this, you sent me this article and one of the things that it talks about is that Vets don't even recommend using this for animals, except, except for, for pigs. Pigs, and I wonder, I wonder if that has something to do with what you're talking about, where like the yeah. pig snout somehow allows them to get that seal. Yeah, it would make sense. I mean, if you think about it. Yeah, but... I'm not an expert on that, but that is one thought. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, I didn't mean to bring it down. I, I, man, I, I just, I just would be remiss to not mention it because it has literally been in my thoughts ever since about three o'clock this afternoon, whenever I first heard about it. So, uh, yeah, no, it's it's outrageous. I mean, yeah, I, the blood is on everybody's hands at this yeah. point, and the inhumanity is on everybody's hands, and I think. Yeah, the, you know, it's not like we don't have tons of blood on our hands by being part of a state that that causes wars and stuff like that. But, I mean, you'd think that 
in something like that. I don't know. Capital punishment generally gets on uh, on the ballot, and we decide mm-hmm. on things. And um, you'd think that Alabama would have the uh, guts to put it on the ballot and explain it to their voters, but uh, yeah. but they're cowards. So yep. I'm gonna say that. Amen to that. Amen. Well, what do you say we uh, talk a little bit about Jimbo? Yo, Jimbo! Yo, Jimbo! <laughs> yeah, let's let's uh, let's switch it up. Yeah. Uh, so, Blake, I asked you that's to watch my sword. I mean, that's that's not a bad way to go. Well, especially especially <laughs> if you're talking about the deaths by sword in uh, in this movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, which are so almost like, instantaneous, <laughs> instantaneous, and they run the gamut between completely bloodless to to you know, splatter uh, sp- on the face, spraying everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I definitely want the former. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so I I chose this movie. Um, I'm a big fan of Kurosawa, but I ha- actually haven't seen as many as uh, tons of tons of film nerds. So this was actually a hole in my uh, watch. Oh wait, uh, all, you haven't all, seen this? No, I had seen it. Okay, but not until a few months ago. Gotcha. So okay, I had watched it recently, and um, one of my one of my. Uh, kind of related to this one of my 2024 uh, year goals or or resolutions is to watch all of kurosawa's movies yeah um by the end of the year so i've i've got some some ways to go but i i i like this resolution because it feels i don't know i like it more than uh than you know losing weight or getting in shape or whatever it I, Two I things know. you really don't need to worry about, Jameson. So, yeah. well, why don't like, you stick that up your ass? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I was trying to think of normal things or learning a, a language or you know all of these ones. Why that, would I do that? English is the best. That's true. Yeah, I guess I don't need to do that either. You know, um, you know, but Can't it also you just speak this language. It also felt like something that was an accomplishment, you know, watching. I think he has like 50 movies or something like that. Does he? Yeah. I mean, I knew he had quite a few, but I didn't realize it was that many. He, which yeah. which makes me makes me wonder why he's so touted for whenever you're you're that like prolific and yet you have the the profile that he does within the film world. Mm-hmm. I mean, the odds are just not good. Like there's oh. a world in which every single one of those movies is just phenomenal, but I highly doubt it. <laughs> I, I think what makes him so phenomenal though, is 60% of those movies are great. Yeah. Um, and 40% are probably not as great. 
Whereas and about like, and, and about twenty percent of them are absolutely classic, memorable films. Yeah, and so I think I think that's that's why he he lands in you know that top tier. Yeah, and this is you know this is opposed to someone like Hitchcock, who I think definitely has that twenty percent up there. Mm-hmm. But after that, it's actually pretty hit or miss. And in yeah. fact, a lot of his earlier movies before he came to Hollywood aren't very good. And he ended up mm-hmm. remaking them as better movies, too. Yep. Um, and, and so you have, you know, I think he even probably outdoes, outdoes Hitchcock in, in consistently great um, yeah. film. But we're here to talk about Yojimbo. Yep. And I chose this movie... Because I had a lot of fun with it. Actually, I think in the the you know oeuvre of uh, I'm not saying that the oeuvre oeuvre of uh, of Kurosawa's movies, this is definitely one of his most playful, one of his uh, funniest, kind of cartoonish. It has, but in all the best ways. In all the best ways, and it's it like toes the line up to slapstick. It doesn't quite cross that line. It's no. not. There are slapstick moments, but it still maintains a very pure samurai film. So it's very very cartoony, very very fun. There's there's humor, you know, in in spades, but it it still kind of like keeps a good strong samurai story. Um, yeah. So I just had a lot of fun with it. Thought I would share it. What did you think, Blake? And you, and you really like the soundtrack, right? Well, the soundtrack to kind of get into that is so tied to how you experience the film too yeah uh which is funny because i listened to it probably four or five times before i even watched the film yeah and i had never seen this film before so uh i i went into the film probably thinking this is gonna be a lot of fun because Mm -hmm. i kind of dig the soundtrack (laughs) yeah the soundtrack is really good and i would say it's one of the more memorable ones but i think part of that is it is built to be a companion with the film. I was actually thinking about this earlier, and I I don't think you see this as often in, you know, in comedies or dramas or character-driven movies Mm -hmm. so much anymore. I think you see this in, like, action movies where where it's almost like like a ballet type thing sports films sports inspirational sports films exactly exactly but there's always usually a lot of action going on on screen yeah not that there's not action going on in yojimbo you know it's a samurai movie it's a it's a ode to westerns and it's a Mm -hmm. it's an eastern western itself but um but there's also slow talk moments in the film and, you know, and you watch people walk here and there. 
and the music is still kind of playing with it and um yeah right and there's I, only like three themes yes that <laughs> play over and over again throughout the the soundtrack but they but they play in in differing like speeds and with different discordance and like but they're always recognizable whenever you hit you're like oh yeah okay so we're back we're back to the the more slow paced like uh version of the opening theme or and and like you there is very few moments on the soundtrack that don't call back to one of those themes yeah um whenever they don't it's usually more discordant percussion Um, yeah can i chaotic uh, this like percussion can i read um so on wikipedia there's a there's a little blurb from uh michael wood who's a who's a a film writer or soundtrack you know guru i don't know Mm -hmm. but uh but there's some commentary on the soundtrack that i actually really really dig and i'm just going to read the last two sentences uh for this so this is michael wood on the yojimbo soundtrack and um for context the main character in yojimbo's name is sanjuro so he mentions him in this um so the the music it's distracting at first then you realize it's not decoration it's commentary it's a companion to sanjuro the sound of his mind discordant and undefeated and unserious even when he's grubby and silent and apparently solemn oh man that is beautiful yeah and and and, and it goes exactly with some of the thoughts i had Oh, cool, cool. So, Blake, I mean, I think I think you've tipped your hand that you you enjoyed this movie. At this oh point. yeah, yeah. Uh, like so, ad- like damn near adored it. Oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> my heart is full hearing you say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, you don't have to really like put a gun on me to watch a Mifune film. Uh, everything I've seen him in has been just phenomenal. Um, but like, I mean, I'll, I'll say my only other Kurosawa film to have seen is Seven Samurai, which most people who know Kurosawa have probably seen. Uh, I've seen it three times and I appreciate the film more than I like the film. Um, and so... I was expecting another version of Seven Samurai when I went into this, and then I looked at the time, and it was only an hour and 50 minutes, and I was like, oh, okay, so this might actually be a little bit different. (laughs) I was expecting another three-hour crawl. I was like, okay, gotta gotta batten down the hatches. (laughs) Get ready for this. (laughs) And so whenever I saw it, it was a spunky little short flick i was like okay okay let's do this (laughs) um yeah i i yeah no i i really like this this film and and part of me thought that i probably would after i had 
really start to love the soundtrack, the pluckiness of the soundtrack, and the I love highly percussive mm-hmm. soundtracks, um, ones that do discordance with percussion uh, often. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I love it because I'm always trying to figure out if and when it will come together. Um, and there is tons of that on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. This kind of like discordant percussion in the background. And then like there is, I couldn't tell if it was a bassoon or a saxophone that plays a pretty significant part in some of the themes. Um, it sounded like bassoon. Some of the woodiness of it sounded like a bassoon, but mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell for sure. But there's this kind of low kind of, uh, either bassoon or, or, or sax sound there that uh, is going with the, the, the discordant percussion. I'm just like, yeah, what is going on here? Is this like actually going to mesh at some point? And then all of a sudden it does. And I'm like, Oh, that's some good shit right there. I can get down with this. And it's the same fucking thing with this movie. I mean, <laughs> I spent, I spent the first 45 minutes of this movie. Like what the fuck is going on? Like, does this movie have a point or is, are these people just like watching the world burn? Like yeah. what, what is going on? And then I started to see it. I was like, oh, okay. I think I, okay. I see what's going on. <laughs> and then at, at that point I was able to sit back and be like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna enjoy this insanity mm-hmm. of what's, what's happening here. Um, yeah, no, I dug it. Great pick. Great pick. Good. A hell of a way to start the, the third season. Yeah. The third season. And I, I, when you, when you brought up that you wanted to kind of cover soundtracks with movies or at least mm-hmm. do a couple like this, this is the one that popped to mind. Cause I had, I had seen it recently and it fit that bill for me where mm-hmm. the soundtrack was enough of a character in the film to uh, to really bring that up and kind of fill it in. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So, so, Blake, um, this movie has an interesting start, right? You've mm-hmm. got. You've got this lone samurai kind of walking wherever. And he picks up a stick, throws it into the air, and the stick tells him where to go. Yep. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on why the element of randomness Uh, well, I mean, this actually plays into a a connection I was making in my head. Something that you should be well acquainted with at this point. Uh, with the current book that you are reading for the book club, which uh, is Blood Meridian. Okay. Uh, so, did you were you able to make it through? I'm not done with it yet. Okay. But you've you've read enough to to get a clear depiction of the judge, right? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so the judge is, is the main is the main connecting point for me. And it is tied to not necessarily the randomness, but the chaos. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so in the sense that that I would say that is, you know, the judge is largely a chaotic negative or a chaotic evil in mm-hmm. Blood Meridian. Um, I would say that that uh, our protagonist is a chaotic good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in the sense that he's less concerned about it's it's hard to explain because because there's an element of it that is pure enjoyment on his level like mm-hmm. he does like to see the world burn to some extent yes but the principles and the goodness are what went out in the end like if he has a choice he's always going to help somebody um mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so his amusement over and there are several times where he notes how watching something happen is amusing to him um mm-hmm. takes place and, and you're like okay all right this guy is clearly not a um western hero in the sense that he's like this like principled like ayn randian like do-gooder basically yeah um no this guy this guy is is he's out to do some some fucked up shit but when it comes down to it he's gonna help the people who actually need to be helped sure like damn the system like (laughs) you know it's it's like Oh yeah, those those people don't actually have any power in this situation. I'm gonna help them, but I'm gonna watch these rich motherfuckers turn against each other, and I'm gonna help them out. <laughs> and so that's what that that's what I, I I'm seeing a uh, almost uh, a mirror version of the judge in in uh, in this character. It's it's interesting, uh, and and again, I haven't gotten to the end of Blood Meridian, so um, I actually am a little more behind than I should. But um, but I think there's a part where uh, where the the protagonist of Blood Meridian is hearing about the judge, and he asks, "What is he a judge of?" Mm-hmm. and I, I feel like that question is kind of haunting the book. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to, 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 to wheedle out the answer to that because for the most part, and this is something you said about uh, Senjuro, who's the protagonist of Yojimbo. Oh, I want to point out the word Yojimbo means bodyguard, which ties uh, in yes. to, to, you know, the, <laughs> central chaos of the movie. Yes. Um, yeah. And, um, and then uh, one thing you said about Sanjuro is he, he observes. Mm-hmm. And this is a defining characteristic about the judge that I've seen so far is mm-hmm. that he is an observer 
and he is a collector of observations. Mm-hmm. And this is very much, you know, I, I think at one point he even says that things don't exist if he's not there to bear witness to them. Yep. Um, and that is one of the most terrifying passages in any kind of literature I've ever read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> because when when he delivers it, uh, you feel like he means it. Um, yeah, so um, it's it's interesting. And so that's that is a good connection there because... The first thing Sanjuro does when he comes into town is he goes to both sides of the rival and he like walks up to them and then he walks away. <laughs> and yeah. then he goes to the town uh, watering hole and he gets the rest of the information about what's going yeah. on. Yeah. So he collects and he observes. But I will say he doesn't stay in that state of observation. He makes a judgment on what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. Then and there. Actually, well, he he orders some sake and says he he thinks better when he when he drinks. When he's drunk. (laughs) But but he spends time thinking about this and you you get a sense that he knows what he's doing. And even though there's chaos, you think that there's, uh, there's wisdom behind it, or at least you hope there's an end game. And, and then there's a point in, in it where you clearly see, Oh, this guy cares for those who are powerless in this situation. So, yeah. And there's a point in which you see, oh, maybe he doesn't have an end game, at least, or at least there's a, the end game is not working out as he has planned it. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and and I think I think he recognizes that it's his plan has become more complicated when let me let me remember his name. Um, Uno Toro, Unasuka, Unasuka, yeah, it's uh, it's Ushitora comes, t- and comes to town, yeah, or comes into the picture and he sees him for the first time and he's like, oh, no, this guy, this guy plays chess too, yeah, like, and and at that point I think he's he's okay, shit. Now, now I actually have to like, I have to make moves. <laughs> it has become, it, it has moved from checkers to chess at this point. Yeah. And, and it comes to a point where you're actually not sure, but what he might have gotten checkmated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. What is happening now? <laughs> um, and that's and and that's why I say he's a chaotic good, because I don't actually think whenever you're a chaotic good, it means that when it's in your power, whenever the chaos like favors you, you you have the goodness of others in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that the chaos will always favor you. Yeah, 
Yeah. Sometimes it, it means it's going to kick you in the ass. He which definitely it does to him. So <laughs> he definitely plays uh, pretty flat, fast, and loose in uh, in his messing with both sides. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. It's there's no one who's his match. You know, when yeah. when he first gets there, there's there's a bunch of tough guys, but they're, they're yes, not, yeah, they're not smart. They're just they're just brawn. Um, <laughs> there's even you should uh, talk about your favorite one of your favorite scenes. Oh man, yeah. So one of my favorite scenes. Well, there's so many good, funny scenes. Like when he first walks into town, there's this playful music playing and then all of a sudden this dog comes by yeah. with it, with a human hand and it's yeah. just exactly. he just like looks at it and uh there's so many fun characters that just pop out of the woodwork immediately there's this completely ineffectual uh sheriff in the town yeah, yeah. who is is just trying to sell him to the highest bidder and take yeah. a you know take a cut of that there are these rival mayors who are just mm-hmm. these completely uh useless old men who yeah. one of them just plays his prayer drum hoping that there's there's peace and then there are these two uh the, we already mentioned the the shop and the shop owner is kind of the guy who is is yojimbo's helper i mean sanjiro's helper throughout the yeah. movie um but he has this rivalry with with the casket maker because yeah. when the gangs are fighting there's more caskets to be sold and the casket maker is happy but no one goes to the restaurant anymore <laughs> but when there's peace maybe people will come to the restaurant and he'll get business so uh it's 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 funny to see those rivalries but i think the scene that you're talking about is is pretty early on in the movie uh Sanjuro is trying to establish some sort of uh, physical dominance you know or at least yeah. fear-based dominance and he goes up and he kind of confronts these three gamblers. I think it's for uh, Ushitora's side at this point. Mm-hmm. Who, um, just to give context, they're these rival gangs, but they used to be together in one kind of Yakuza branch. But the 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 head of it wanted to instead of giving power to his right hand man give power to his son and kind of keep it in the family name mm-hmm. and then the right hand man broke off broke and off. forms forms his yeah. own yeah so um so Sanjuro goes up and he just kind of talks to these guys and they um they try to show how tough they are by all of their tattoos. And one of them has this big dice on his face and they just look like goobers. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah, Sanjuro handles them handily. No pun intended. So, 
Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great scene. I mean, there's so many great moments in this film and, and like it's meta without being meta. Um, yeah. Like the fact that he just finds such amusement in seeing like the, uh, the, the silk shop burned down or, yeah. um, I'm trying to think of some of my favorite lines like at the very end where the he's defeated like the gangs have taken each other out but he then he's finished everyone off that was left over <clears throat> and he says well the town's a lot quieter now <laughs> yeah <laughs> he turned- <laughs> I was, I was like i was like yeah and and there's a world in which that was what he was aiming for from the beginning yeah was he said there's a lot of noise a lot of talking in this town that needs to be silenced (laughs) yeah yeah it's a it was i mean that's it's it's interesting because i and i think this is why the sound like you were saying with the soundtrack the soundtrack works so well with it because it plays with those same ideas um mm-hmm. especially like i'm not always like listening to soundtracks apart from movies is not often very entertaining to me um yeah whenever a soundtrack captures me and like actually becomes its own thing um i pay attention to what it's doing and at that point i'm like then i can see the connection between the movie and the music uh, otherwise, it's just set dressing for me um, most of the time. Um, and so, <laughs> when when I was I listened to that soundtrack and then I watched the movie, I was like, "That's fascinating." How whoever composed these pieces like saw what was going on in the psychological elements of this movie, and was mm-hmm. like, "Let's let's fuck around with that a little bit. Let's see let's see what we can do to, to kind of bring that that element out." Um, it's brilliant. Like <laughs> I I know I I wish I wish they were still around to ask cuz there's almost there's almost like a, a chicken or the egg element to the soundtrack and the film too where it's like what came first? Like how yeah. how does it synthesize so well? And and maybe the answer is they worked on it in, in conjunction, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't know, you know. And I'm sure there's some some film history book written about it, but uh, yeah no one's yeah. got time for that no no and i sure i sure as hell don't know i i remember when i when i gave you the idea for picking movies based on soundtracks i i originally like was like oh we can just talk about the soundtracks like basically like judge the movie by its soundtrack and i was like yeah but i suck talking about music like i'm not good at it like <laughs> And so I was like, we just need to mention the soundtrack. And if something interesting comes up from it, like we, we talk about, but largely we're talking about the movie. (laughs) I had to backpedal a little bit. I was like, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm, this is not something I can accomplish. Well, I think, (laughs) I think this was a good, a good intro into that because this was an example where the soundtrack was a very important part of the movie. So listening to it and giving it space to kind of live in our minds, I think prepared 
for the conversation that we're having right now and mm-hmm. it allowed us to kind of discuss it i don't i don't feel like the discussion's been bad or you've been terrible talking about it i think you did well blake mm. bravo yeah but that's also because i i really like the soundtrack and i actually paid attention to it most of the time it's just like i have it on in the background but i'm not really like listening to it well let's not um, choose shitty soundtracks to cover on flyby films no, i think no, we're not going to i think that's the that's the solution to your problems man yeah, well, we're we're gonna try it. We're gonna try it at least the first couple. Yeah, and see how it goes. I mean, I feel like this was a a good first entry entry into the into the catalog, and I think the second one's gonna be equally good. All right. Uh, in completely different ways. Ooh. Um, completely different ways. <laughs> so, um, and so yeah, I, I mean. I just found myself just being overwhelmed by this concept of this. What, what does a chaotic hero look like? Um, yeah. Because really at the end of the day, no one is a principled Ayn Randian, Nietzschean, Ubermash. Like no one lives up to that. Like no one is, is, is the quote-unquote you know pure hero everyone is a chaotic um negative or positive or neutral or you know whatever it may be um at some point and so um part of me is just like this is this is what doing good in the world looks like it's basically playing chess to the best of your ability and and hoping that you get to help out the people you need to help out. <laughs> this sounds a lot like the where we landed on parenting, right? Which is like much. you play chess with your your kid until they're about to fall off the edge, and then you go and and yell at them to get back. You know. Yeah, you're like, hey, hey, bro. Just move this piece. Yeah. That'll block me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it, it's, it is, it is interesting because I think that, that question, what is his, you mentioned this, what is his goal really kind of haunts this movie? I mean, haunts maybe a strong word. It's not that terrifying, you know, there. Mm-hmm. I, I think the end is kind of haunting. There's there are scenes at the end that that are haunting in this movie and can be described that way, especially like when uh, how the the mayors resolve. Um, oh yeah, their their conflict, and then like you said, that <laughs> the line. Well, the town's a lot quieter now, um, <laughs> which is just so hilarious. Uh, but but I I think. I think that is a central central conflict in the movie which is or central question which is what what does he want because yeah, yeah he, he plays both sides so much during the first half and just fucks around 
You're like, I wonder what he's, really, what is he really going to find out? Get the, you get the sense that he's just in it for the money at the beginning. Uh, kind of. Like he's just trying to, he's trying <laughs> to raise the price. Yeah. Like basically like yeah. who's, who's going to be the highest bidder. Yeah. But, but then it turns around and you're like, Oh, well, okay. All right. Yeah. And <laughs> something I think, else is going on here. <laughs> I think, I think your connection to, I, Oh man, I'm appreciating so much all of the connections that you've, you've put together because um, if you know a little bit about Kurosawa, he was so inspired by, you know, 1930s, 1940s, 1950s um, uh, Western movies. And he mm-hmm. loved those. And he brought that into the movies. And so in some senses, Yojimbo is a Western. It, yeah. You know, it, it follows a lot of the beats you know stranger comes into town um and uh and and he's a mysterious tough guy they're you know they're bandits and whatnot and mm-hmm. you know well uh, there's even you know standoffs the only difference is there's only one gun in this film not all the characters mm-hmm. have guns um and that one gun is is you know definitely attached to the evil character so you see kind yeah. of it you see it associated with with evil and and almost dishonor in a way um but uh but it definitely hits all of the western beats and it's almost commentary on that because in those early western movies you had a lot of the good guy characters straight and narrow always you know this is the virtuous western hero Mm -hmm. and this he's good by the end of the movie you know he's good but he's not he's not straight and narrow (laughs) no no he's he's wide and wobbly um, <laughs> that is beautifully put. He's he's not straight and narrow. He's wide and wobbly. <laughs> yeah. Uh but yeah, so he uh and and the connection to to Blood Meridian too is that is, you know, equally kind of a commentary on on weird on on the 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 like uh Pollyanna-ish you know, Western, <laughs> it goes yeah. a bit darker, I would say. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, you have these two kind of commentaries kind of fighting back or, or just responding in a way to this idealistic version of the West. Yeah. Well, and, and there's an element of, like you know cormac mccarthy's western is in many ways kind of i mean this is not this is not the first western to do this but the one that was in my lifetime the first one i experienced was unforgiven uh where the western became not so much about the hero comes to town and saves the day it's more about what is the cost to the hero for the violence that he does Mm -hmm. um 
And 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 at that point, you're you're like, okay, well, on some level, Cormac McCarthy, there's there's viable arguments to be made that he enjoys the violence a little bit too much at times. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's very clear that he is he's making a very stern point about the cosmic implications of the violence we do. Um, and <clears throat> I think that's why the judge is so terrifying to me as a character is because it it's it's almost like he is the the unbridled anthropomorphization of violence of human mm. violence um and and he observes it and he he he's amused by it in his own way um just like just like uh our protagonist in Yojimbo is like uh he's amused whenever he sees injustice not necessarily corrected but uh paid against those who are enacting it yeah <laughs> like it's it's it, you're seeing you're seeing similar observation like you said earlier but also amusement at, at something and and so the judge is amused by by the evil and uh and mafune is 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 amused by uh maybe not a principled um correction of justice or uh, principled justice but at least a like a writing of a wrong um and even if it's vengeance oriented um I think there's I think there's something there. Like I think the judge likes to see the world torn apart. And whereas the other character is like he's amused at seeing what it takes to stitch it back together. If that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. Because the stitching back together still has violence. That's true. Because you can't you can't fix a broken world without some violence on 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 a level on some level because it's already torn apart. You have to sew it back together. And so the sewing of it is its own type of violence. And so Well, it, it sometimes you got to dig out the tumor exactly. which causes yeah. more pain. I um I I think there's something to this this idea of amusement too um that kind of reflects back to us right mm -hmm. um i i don't know i i think i find myself in the minority as i'm reading this book because i actually think that there's a lot of humor in this book oh it's 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 yeah I, I, it's a, I think you can I think it's pretty easy and I think that people have made the case it's a dark comedy. I it's just you know, really dark. <laughs> I don't even know if I would go that far as to say like it is a comedy. I think it's very comedic in a lot of ways and I think Oh yeah. I yeah. I, I think Cormac McCarthy 
is is a good enough writer to where he doesn't necessarily need to say like I'm making a comedy or I'm making a drama or I'm making you know mm-hmm. anything like this and he can weave in these things and and I guess that's what I'm I'm picking up but uh, just I don't want to go on a rant about. <laughs> the book club because i know some of the people in the book club listen to this and they're not here to defend themselves <laughs> but 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 you know I, I i i take that stance that there's a lot of there's a lot i i even think that kind of the central idea of bandits driving out savages in the name of civility which maybe not be is maybe is not everybody's um, goal in that i don't think it's mm-hmm. the judge's goal but yeah. um but a lot of the the political officials in that book that is their goal they hire these yeah. group of bandits to do this you know i think that that's kind of a funny concept um because it ends up biting them in the ass and they mm-hmm. end up you know these these heroes these bandits come back as as quote unquote heroes and tear up the town and just <laughs> destroy everything yeah and there's a commentary on that but i think i think this idea of amusement is interesting too because we were discussing in the book club the 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 play of violence and i was saying you know it does seem over the top to me and i think some people pushed back and said no it seems horrifying but i don't know if that gets at it either because there's the central role of amusement in it yeah. A lot of the people that I'm I'm in this book club with, this isn't their first time reading this book. We're not repulsed by this thing. We're mm-hmm. actually pulled towards it. And in the same way, Yojimbo, I mean, Sanjuro, I keep wanting to call mm-hmm. him Yojimbo because it's that's, such a fun that, that's name. That's been my problem the whole time. I can never Yo remember Sanjuro. Jimbo. <laughs> um, Sanjuro. I think he likes watching these people beat them. Like it's fun. It's interesting. Yeah. It, you know, it causes drama and, uh, and there's a bit of us that, that we're thrilled by that in a sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, it's disgusting on one hand, but I don't, I don't think we're horrified enough. Like, it's it's back to that parenting like how do you how do you allow how do i allow hazel to kind of crawl up to that edge and look over and get and and i know he's getting that thrill you know looking mm-hmm. over the grand canyon and and trust and allow that he's going to stop before something terrible happens yeah. you know before it's infecting him to to the, the the physics of it all yeah exactly well but i think i think mccarthy and kurosawa are good enough artists that yes they don't have to know what kind of film or book they're writing uh but but they are asking the question of oh are you amused by this why are you amused by this yeah and i think that is the investigation that both kurosawa and 
McCarthy are doing. I, I, I think you're right to say that there is, there are some humorous elements to Blood Meridian. Um, but I think what McCarthy is not doing it for shits and giggles. No. He's saying, why are we amused mm-hmm. or why do we find this humorous? Like, what is it about this that draw, like you said, draws us into it? Yeah. Um, what is going on here? Like, he's both both Kurosawa and McCarthy are asking us to um to know thyself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to 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 stand back and say my first reaction to this piece of prose or this scene was this. Why? Why was that my first reaction? Well, that takes that takes introspection to to mm-hmm. pull that apart and that is different for every person why they do why they are horrified by something you know the same scene or the same piece of prose can horrify one person and make someone else chuckle mm-hmm. um and so why is that why what is going on in each person's psyche and, and, and background and context and all these things that causes that reaction? And I think they're smart enough to know that that's what they're after. Um, yeah. They're, they're giving us complicated characters in order to make us think about why we are either rooting or uh, lambasting characters or the actions that they do uh, in the midst of these grand narratives they've concocted yeah and that's that's the work of the good artist in my opinion and yeah i ultimately think that's what makes you know something like this more compelling than not not to throw shade at something like high noon but you know it's a it's a little more compelling than that at least yeah yeah it's more interesting there, there, there's a fantasy element to, to movies like High Noon. Um, yeah. There's a putting ourselves and and basically putting ourselves in the best light and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I would definitely be Gary Cooper or yeah. you know, whoever it might be, you know, Clint Eastwood or, or, you know, pick your John Wayne, the king of them all. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't require introspection that's fantasy Mm -hmm. um but being finding a hero or a villain that is chaotic enough to where we don't always recognize the good or the bad that they're doing (laughs) Mm -hmm. is is enough to make us question okay why am I repulsed by this decision or this person in this moment? <laughs> or why am I applauding this, this choice or this, this character, you know? Um, yeah. I think that's infinitely more interesting than, than a fantasy. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Ah, oh. wow. Blake, you, you did it. You really opened this up. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't have picked it. Yeah. Because I, uh, I watched this damn movie and I was like, oh, yeah, I am pumped. 
I am ready for this shit. Man, bring it. <laughs> Good. Good. Oh man. Uh this is this is starting our our third season off right. Loving yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm loving it. Okay. But well, it's way uh, better. It's way better than McDonald's. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> uh spend your calories, your eye calories on on Yojimbo rather than McDonald's. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Well, All right. do you have anything else to say? I I don't think I have anything else to add. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Beautiful. Well, it was good talking to you, man. Good talking to you, too. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>